Welcome to Health Plus Tech, the podcast where we explore the law that applies at the intersection of healthcare and technology. Hosted by McGuire Woods, episodes feature healthcare innovators and updates on the laws that apply to digital health businesses. Welcome to the Health Plus Tech Podcast. I'm Kristen McDermott Woodrum, a healthcare partner in the Atlanta office of McGuire Woods. I'm joined by my partner, Holly Buckley, who's based in Chicago and chairs the McGuire Woods Healthcare Department. Holly and I lead the McGuire Woods Digital Health, Technology, and Innovation Practice and are hosts of this Health Plus Tech Podcast. Today, we are excited to welcome to the podcast Priya Bethesda, founder and CEO of New Health. Priya has worked across the healthcare industry in health law and policy, and we are thrilled that she has joined us to share her insights. Welcome, Priya. Can you please introduce yourself and share a little more about your background, the focus of New Health, and the perspective you bring to the discussion? Sure, and thank you so much, um, Kristen and Holly. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. Um, I started my career as a health law attorney, and I spent nearly a decade practicing both in the law firm setting and then in-house as part of the leadership teams at ProMedica and MedStar Health. Um, After that, I joined the American Hospital Association, and over the nine years that I was there, I had a number of different roles from being part of the policy team in Washington, D.C., to leading strategic initiatives around value, affordability, maternal health, and health equity. And throughout my career, um, I've had an opportunity to see the good and the bad within the healthcare system, and particularly from my work around maternal health. I realized that that was one area that had far more bad than it should. Um, We're in last place as a country on maternal health compared to other developed nations. Um, Women are literally dying or suffering tremendously in what should be one of the happiest moments of their lives. Um, And more than that, outside of maternal and reproductive health, we aren't truly addressing women's health across the life of a woman. Um, There's definitely been more conversation around women's health lately, um, and all of that's really exciting, um, but we haven't even scratched the surface on our understanding around women's bodies. Um, There are conditions that only exist in women, um, those that are mostly in women, and those that appear differently in women, and we haven't invested enough into learning about those conditions or how we can improve diagnosis and treatment for women who face them. And more than that, we as women know so little about our own bodies, um, and we don't talk about the things that we should be talking about. Um, For example, I'm 44, and I've never had a conversation with a physician about menopause, but I recently found out that I could have started perimenopause already. And it was only at a women's health conference last year that I learned that the symptoms of menopause um, or perimenopause can be far more significant or long lasting than hot flashes, which is what I thought was the only symptom associated with menopause. Um, So six months ago, I launched New Health um, to really look at how women can get the best they can out of the healthcare system and how we can focus on improving not just healthcare, but health for women. Um, And New is doing that in three ways. Um, First, through strategic and advisory services, Um, to support those that want to change how care is delivered to women, whether that's startups, providers, or other investors. 
Um, the second is through education and thought leadership for healthcare professionals on the importance of women's health. And the third is through social impact. Um, we are working to build a grassroots network of women that know more about their bodies and how to advocate for themselves in the healthcare system. So six months in, we've started work on all three of those areas and I'm really looking forward to seeing how new health grows and evolves over time. Thank you, that's exciting and it's been Really nice to see such focus on women's health in the past few years. It's grown and tremendous investment has been made in adopting digital health solutions for women, um, sort of the femtech or women plus health sector. I saw a stat that that market is valued at over $51 billion globally and predicted to double by 2030. And the majority of that's in North America. So I know there's a lot out there, but could you give us sort of a high-level overview of some of the areas of focus for these digital women's health solutions, Priya? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great question. Um, and before I jump into an answer, I do want to quickly talk about that valuation number you shared. Um, it's huge. And for far too long, um, there's been this misconception that women's health is a niche market, and that's absolutely false, right? The number that you shared proves that. Um, other numbers out there indicate that women's health is a trillion dollar industry across the globe. Um, recently, and to get back to your question, um, FemHealth Insights released a report on the landscape for femtech. Um, and in the report, they examined the different verticals that make up the femtech space. Um, and that includes everything from abortion to breast health to cardiovascular health, menopause, maternal health, mental health, um, sexual wellness, and more. And what they found by looking at all of those verticals is that maternal health, menstrual health, and fertility medicine continue to be the verticals that are seeing the most innovation. Um, and solutions in those three areas make up about a third of the women's health and wellness startups that are active today. And out of those three, maternal health and fertility are the two most active and highest funded verticals in the women's health space. The menopause vertical is also growing and is expected to be one of the fastest growing markets in the women's health space with projected revenue of 24 billion by 2030 globally. And that makes a lot of sense given our aging population, having more women in leadership roles, um, a reduction in stigma and really the fact that we're having more discussions around menopause. Um, investments in other verticals are lacking. For example, solutions around cardiovascular health, which is the leading cause of death for women. Um, and there are two areas that are significantly underfunded, and that includes chronic conditions and mental health. Um, so there are a lot of places where we could improve in women's health, um, but that Femtech FemHealth Insights report also um, examines startups um, in women's health by the type. So ranging from retail goods to highly regulated therapeutics and biologics. Um, and they have several categories that would comprise digital health. Um, the first is digital health products themselves, which make up about 16.1% of women's health startups. Um, and the product, this product type is dominated by um, fertility and maternal health apps that are used 
um, to track symptoms, to coach patients, to build communities, um, and offer patients education in different formats. Um, the next category is telehealth, which makes up about an additional 10.1% of um, women's health startups. And that includes standout companies like Maven Clinic, which offers comprehensive care for um, everyone that is planning, starting, or raising a family. Um, and then there are also education platforms um, or platforms that offer digital communities and different types of digital products that together make up an additional 10%. So a large portion of the startups that exist today in women's health are really digital health solutions. That's a great breakdown. Thank you, Priya. Um, and we've seen a lot of solutions that are focused on educating and connecting patients, really empowering them, as well as improving care. And I know that you have been a strong advocate for health equity, including reducing disparities in maternal health. Um, so I'd love to hear what you think the potential of digital health is to address these issues and identify some of the key challenges. Yeah, so I think there's great potential for digital health to reduce disparities. Um, and maternal health is really a great place to start because it is an area where we see so many of the inequities in healthcare show up. Um, so just to bring that to life a little bit, um, we see racial inequities, right? So Black, American Indian, and Alaska Native women are three to four times more likely to die of pregnancy complications than white women. Um, we also see gender inequities, geographic inequities, and generational in inequities. And I won't dive into each of those, but we'll just say that moms today are more than 50% more likely to die in childbirth than their mothers. And as society and as a healthcare ecosystem, we're generally trying to get better with each year and each decade and definitely with each generation. Um, but when it comes to maternal health, we are really going in the opposite direction. Um, so when we think about digital health opportunities, this is a great place to make improvement. Um, and hospitals have found really nice ways to partner with technology providers um, to increase engagement and monitoring of mothers um, from the time that they're pregnant to one year postpartum. So I'll just give you a few examples. Um, so there are solutions that remotely monitor moms for hypertension and cardiovascular conditions um, before and after delivery. Um, and these are often conditions that disproportionately impact Black mothers. Um, there are also solutions out there to better educate expectant mothers and give them information that they need to stay healthy and prepare for childbirth. Um, there are other solutions that help moms navigate their health during and after pregnancy. So, for example, um, it may be an app or it may be a text-based solution that provides access to a nurse or a docent that's available to answer questions that the mother may have throughout her pregnancy. Um, we've also seen tools that have allowed hospitals to monitor and watch for postpartum depression and otherwise monitor the mental health of mothers, um, which is right now the leading cause for postpartum death. Um, and then as a last example, we've seen digital solutions to help evaluate mothers and infant social needs and connect them to different resources in their communities, whether that's access to food or housing or other resources. So 
technology is proving to be really powerful, especially in the maternal health space at reducing disparities. Um, it also has improved outcomes for patients as well as their experiences as they engage with the healthcare system. Um, but you also asked me to talk about challenges. So I wanna talk about two. Um, the first is that these solutions can only work when hospitals and other providers actually understand the needs of the patients and the communities that they're serving. Um, so this includes not only what's happening with their patients, with the community, but also the differences in what is happening between population groups. Um, so it's really important for healthcare providers to stratify data by race, ethnicity, and language preference, um, sexual orientation and gender identity, and other socioeconomic data. Um, because a lot understanding patients and communities um, at this level is really the only way that providers are gonna be able to understand what disparities exist and then develop digital solutions that can address those disparities. Um, and the second challenge that I'll touch on is the challenge of digital health equity or the ability of all individuals to utilize digital solutions to improve health. Um, we all live through the pandemic and we know that digital solutions really became a critical access point um, for healthcare providers to reach patients. Um, but if you were paying attention, you also learned very quickly that not everyone had access to all of those digital solutions. Um, certain people across the country didn't have access to broadband or high-speed internet. Um, they didn't have access to smartphones, or they just faced challenges um, engaging with those solutions. So as we move forward, providers really need to focus on digital health equity to eliminate gaps in access to care um, and digital health literacy. Um, and I've been really fortunate to talk to a lot of hospitals about um, what they're doing to address digital health equity. And there are so many ways um, that they're working on this. Um, they're partnering with technology companies. They're engaging diverse groups in the development of these digital solutions to get their feedback. Um, they're advocating for broadband access, um, providing patients with technology, and they're selecting solutions proactively um, that minimize barriers to access. Um, we've also seen a lot of hospitals realize that apps may not be the best way to meet their patients. And so they've designed solutions that rely on texting to connect with their patient populations. Um, and there are also you know, different ways to address digital health literacy. Um, they're using more videos, they're using emojis more often and photographs instead of text. Um, they're creating linguistically and culturally sensitive um, and inclusive apps um, and just some really great work um, going on across the country. But that challenge of digital health equity is going to remain a challenge as we move forward because people still don't have broadband access. Um, High-speed internet connections are expensive and not always available in communities, including urban communities. Um, and people don't always trust or want to use digital solutions. So that is going to continue to be a challenge in the future. Thanks, Priya. And when you started talking about um, challenges uh, in, in the health equity space, one thing I expected you to talk about and you didn't was reimbursement. Like who's paying for this stuff? And I was wondering if you could address that for a minute. Is, is this not a challenge anymore or <laughs> is this still a challenge? What are we seeing in terms of 
um, who, who's, who's willing and able and who actually is paying for um, health equity solutions. So I guess I just didn't cover it because it's always the elephant in the room, but reimbursement continues to be a huge challenge when it relates to health equity work. Um, a lot of this work that's being done by hospitals and health systems and providers right now is not being paid for, right? And so um, it's challenging to get more of this work moving in the right direction. Um, but we are seeing some promising signs that there will be reimbursement for this at some point in the future from the federal government. Um, they've put up a lot of signals that um, they are looking at this and they are considering it. And one of the most obvious signals is that they are asking hospitals to measure um, different aspects of health equity going forward. So potentially down the line, we could see some reimbursement around health equity as a whole. Um, there are other places where this work is being reimbursed, um, specific Medicaid programs in different states. Um, some commercial payers are taking it on in small ways, but even there, there isn't sort of widespread reimbursement. So yes, reimbursement remains <laughs> a huge challenge um, related to digital in general. And I think um, there's even more uncertainty now today as the public health emergency ends um, on what will be covered going forward in the long term um, that may have been covered during the pandemic, may or may not be covered in the future. Thank you. Um, switching gears a little, um, in your past life, you've worked with health systems across the country. What advice do you have for hospitals and providers in, in, in addressing some of these challenges and evaluating and implementing digital health solutions. I think, you know, uh, hospitals and health systems tend to be a little bit less dynamic than smaller companies such as your own. And yeah. so uh, in terms of uh, being nimble and being able to adapt in this climate, what, what are some thoughts that you have there? Yeah, so I think I'll give you three very quickly. Um, the first is that when it comes to that conversation we were having around health equity, um, it needs to be a strategic priority. Um, and this conversation around health equity seems new because there's been so much of it following the pandemic. Um, but if you think about our quality journey and how we've defined quality in the past, quality has always included equity as part of its definition. And you can't really deliver high quality care if it's not equitable. Um, so health equity really needs to be front and center um, in everything that hospitals and providers are doing now and in the future. Um, and it, when it comes to digital health, um, ensuring that everyone can use the solutions to improve health is critical. Um, so that needs to be an intentional part of the conversation, not just as you're designing solutions, but also as you're implementing and evaluating the success or the non-success of those solutions. Um, second, that digital is only part of the solution. Um, not every patient wants a digital solution. Um, and digital solutions can't do everything, right? They can't deliver babies, for example. Um, so prior to the pandemic, I did a lot of research into low-tech solutions that hospitals could use to improve value. Um, and by low-tech, I included those solutions that are scalable, inexpensive, um, simple in design, tech light, and human. Um, so while we tend to gravitate as a healthcare system to high-tech innovations, um, they tend to steal the spotlight. 
um, it's important not to look, overlook some of the low-tech solutions that are right in front of us, um, and not just how those can be utilized on their own, but how low-tech or high-touch human solutions can be combined with digital solutions. Um, and I think, again, as we're coming out of this public health emergency um, and reimbursement around digital health remains unknown, it's going to be really important to figure out what's the right mix of live and digital care to best treat patients as we move forward. Um, and then lastly, I would just say to hospitals and health systems that they don't have to build everything on their own. Um, Every provider has limited resources today, and there are so many startups and community-based organizations that are working on improving health or improving women's health specifically. Um, so while hospitals and health systems can't be as nimble um, as some of the startup organizations that are out there, they do have the opportunity to find out what others are doing, um, learn from their successes and mistakes, and then you know, see if there's a way to buy or partner to get what they need for their patients. Great. And you are six months in now on this new adventure with New Health. At this point, what would advice and best practices would you share for digital health innovators? Yeah, so I have a lot of advice that I would share, but I think the one that is top of mind um, after a conversation I had this morning um, with a startup in maternal in the maternal health space is that digital innovators need to be asking patients what's important to them. Um, the startup founder I spoke with this morning said that they center women in their care. They ask women what they want and then they work to deliver it. And as they do that, women are happier and they are seeing much better health outcomes. Um, so I think we have to ask patients what's important to them. We can't just assume we know what they want or how they're gonna engage with digital solutions. Um, and from my former life at the hospital association, um, it was really important for hospitals to ask their patients what they want too. And have seen hospitals do that in a number of ways, whether that's through patient and family advisory councils, um, inpatient satisfaction surveys, um, by hosting town halls or using social media to gather feedback. Um, so it's really important to, to be asking people what they want um, and then creating channels to make sure that's available to them. Thank you. And that seems to have really been the theme of a lot of the discussion today, right? So it's a patient-centric approach in terms of strategy, the solution itself and the deployment. And if the patient isn't at the center of it, then at some point it's gonna fail. Yeah, I mean, if you spend all this time creating a solution and patients don't like it and they decide not to use it for whatever the reason, what was the point in designing it, right? And so if we truly want to improve health and healthcare through digital health, we've gotta be asking the right questions. And Absolutely. we have to be listening. So Priya, it's clear that you are an incredibly passionate person and, and you are an inspiration in terms of the work that you've been doing in this space. What are you most excited about in this area and in the future for, for you and your company? Yeah, so I love the increased attention and investment that women's health is seeing today, right? So I just pulled up some stats this morning, but according to PitchBook, in 2006, VCs invested only $143 million in women's health care. And in 2022, 
that number had jumped to $1.9 billion. Um, so that's significant growth in that period of time. And I think that that is something that needs to be celebrated. Um, but I'm also just really excited to be part of this work and to be able to raise these issues in conversations like the one that we're having today. Um, because the reality is that $1.9 billion investment only comprises 1% of the total venture capital funding that's gone to general non-female specific healthcare companies. Um, so women's health still remains underfunded. It also remains under-researched, misunderstood, and oftentimes dismissed. Um, so just a little bit of background there. I mean, as of 2018, only 4% of overall funding for research and development went to products and services that addressed women's healthcare. Um, women continue to be diagnosed on average four years later than men across 750 diseases. Um, female pain continues to be perceived as less intense than male pain, and women are more likely to have their symptoms dismissed by medical providers. Um, so the women's healthcare market is ripe for disruption and innovation, and I love seeing so many people who are making that case each day, right? Because investing in women's health is the right thing to do. Um, it will improve the quality of life for not just the woman you're treating, but for generations to come. Um, and it also improves productivity and economic growth, which makes it a really smart business decision. Um, and so it's so exciting to see so many making this case every day um, and to be able to use new health to be a part of it in a very small way. Thank you. Priya, would you guys take a minute and just let our listeners know how to reach you if they wanna get hold of you? Yeah, so I am, I love LinkedIn. So please find me there. Um, I always respond to my messages. So you can message me there. Um, or you can check out New Health on LinkedIn or Instagram. It's simple at New Health, which is spelled N-Y-O-O Health. Um, you can also find my email sort of everywhere on the internet. So please feel free to reach out. Um, I'd love to learn um, what you're working on or even just your thoughts on the things I've shared today on this podcast. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, this is the Health and Tech Podcast. We thank you so much for your time and listening today. Please reach out with any questions, comments, or thoughts. And until the next time, uh, thank you. Goodbye.